There we go. Good morning. Try that again. Good to see y'all. Acts 3 uh, is where we'll be. Thank you, Clay and Sherry, for, for reading. Uh, and yeah, don't be fooled by when he says, we meet in a barn. That barn is nicer than my house. Uh, <clears throat> but anyway, it's a, it's a good place. And the, the Taylors have been good to Cross Point over the years and, and sharing that, that famous barn with small groups. And uh, I think we had a baby shower there when, when Ashley was having Evie. There's been many baby showers, bridal showers. And so uh, it's good to see uh, our people uh, u- using what the Lord has blessed them uh, with to bless others. And so uh, it, definitely that goes for all of our small group leaders that open up your homes each week. Uh, thank you for, for sharing with others what the Lord has blessed with you. Acts 3, now you obviously picked up when Sherry was reading uh, this this uh, sermon of Peter that there's a lot there. Uh, there's many verses there. And for some of you may think, how in the world? Justin said he was going to get done with chapter three this week. Uh, and so you may be thinking, how in the world is he going to do that? I'm going to try my best, but I will go ahead and tell you that I've got a little spot in my notes that when I look at a certain time, I know if I need to keep going or wait till next week. And so I may have lied to you. You may cover uh, at the finish Acts three over the next two weeks, but we'll see when we get there. But let's go ahead and jump in so that uh, we don't waste any time. And so in Acts 3, uh, where we are now, this sermon by Peter, which would be his second sermon that he's preached, uh, the, the first one, you're talking about a great setup. Uh, you know, we, we as, as preachers try to find like, well, I don't really do it. Luke's very good at it, like finding sermon illustrations or stories and stuff like that to, to start your sermons. And you're talking about like the two best ever. So Peter's first sermon came after Pentecost and the Holy Spirit came and people started speaking in different languages. was like, what a sermon opener, right? Well, the second one comes on the, on the heels of a lame man who's never walked a day in his life being killed. It's like, man, maybe something crazy happened next week and I'll have an awesome sermon illustration. But uh, anyway, so Peter is now standing up preaching his second sermon. And what I want to say is that uh, last week, whenever he, he reached down to the lame man, he said, what I do have, I give you, and in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk, right? So we talked about the continuing power of Jesus and specifically the, the power of Jesus's name. Whenever you read uh, especially the book of Acts, but you can go into Paul's letters too, but uh, is that the apostles were, their first importance in life was exalting the name of Jesus. Uh, throughout their sermons, throughout their activities, throughout everything they did, they were about exalting the name of Jesus, making sure that the name of Jesus is what they were about, uh, about what they baptized in his, they baptized in Jesus' name. We saw that in Acts 2. They, they healed in his name. We just saw that. They, they preached in his name. Uh, uh, Peter does that here. We see that Philip does it in Acts chapter 8 and later in Acts 9 that Paul preaches in the name of Jesus. And even their opponents recognized how central the name of Jesus was to what they were doing. What we will see in chapter four and chapter five is that they didn't tell them to stop doing what they were doing. The Sanhedrin told them to stop doing it in the name of Jesus. Now, they didn't care about their activities, but they knew how central the name of Jesus was to the life and the works of the apostles. And so we see even the opponents saying, hey, do what you do, but just stop talking about the name of Jesus. Stop doing things in the name of Jesus that even the opponents know the power of the name of Jesus. Even the demon, scripture says, knows that the, the, the they shudder at the name of Jesus. And I've heard preachers say that there's the demons have better theology than a lot of people that come into churches because they understand that the power of Jesus is name. The opponents recognize it when you get to Acts 15 and the Jerusalem Council, and this is, does the gospel go to the Gentiles and things? What we see is that they said this about Paul and Barnabas, that they risked their lives in the name of Jesus. Scripture is clear that we'll see in Acts 4 that only by the name of Jesus can salvation be found. We understand by reading Scripture that all spiritual blessings come through the name of Jesus. 
We see in John that adoption is in the name of Jesus, that salvation is in the name of Jesus, that in the name of Jesus we find forgiveness of sins, that in the name of Jesus that our prayers are answered, that, that even the Holy Spirit comes in the name of Jesus. And we just sang this song that 2 Corinthians 1, 20 says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him, and that is why through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. What it's saying is, is that in Jesus, all the promises of God, God says yes. Like when we read scripture and we see that God has promised this, the answer to that is yes in Christ. And so in the name of Jesus, all the promises of God are yes. Therefore, that's why we say amen. That's what, that's what yes and amen, that's why we're singing that is because all the God, all the promises that God has promised find their yes in the name of Jesus. And only in the name of Jesus to that we say Amen. Let's do that. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. So to that we say, I thank you. I think I'm making sure you hear this morning. I understand that since central to the work of the, the life of the apostles and the early church was and is the name of Jesus. Scripture says that at his name that every knee will bow. And scripture teaches that believers are called to do everything in his name so that his name will be glorified. And church, I'm going to remind you this morning as we're diving into Acts 3 that, that there's still power in the name of Jesus. And I stand here this morning like Peter in the name of Jesus. And this is the mark, I believe, in, in true biblical preaching is that we, we make much of Jesus. And we want to make sure we're preaching in Jesus' name. And I hope that any moment that me or Luke or whoever's standing up here misses that mark, that you will call us out on that. I'm inviting you to do so. But this morning, I want to be like Peter and preach Jesus to you. And it's reported to remember that his context here. This is just some weeks or so after uh, Jesus's ascension. Uh, and so here he still has this group of Jews who had had seen Jesus, but they had rejected Jesus. They rejected him as the one that God had sent to be their Messiah. If you're not familiar with those terminologies, let me just, in a nutshell real quick, God in the Old Testament called through a guy named Abraham, a people to himself, and through Abraham's seed, uh, he would bless the world and that he would have his people. Well, those people excuse me, are the Jews. They were, they were Israel, right? And so, uh, and so because of their sin that God had promised through prophets that one day he would send a Messiah to redeem them, to, to, to be their God, to place the spirit within them, right? And so they, they, they waited for years for this Messiah to come, and the one that God sent Jesus, they missed it completely. They, 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 they were looking for this mighty warrior, which is the second coming of Christ. They, they missed the first coming, looking for the second coming uh, of Christ ultimately. And so he came as, a, as Isaiah. And what we will see in, this, in Peter's sermon is this servant, not this conquering king yet. But anyway, so they, they had rejected him. And so it's, under, it's, it's important for us to understand that in order for these people to be saved, they would have to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. And so Peter does really, his sermon can be broken up in three things. I know we'll cover the first two and maybe the first one of the third one. That's confusing. We'll cover the first two and maybe the beginning of the third point. Uh, I'm terrible with outlines, by the way. You should see my outline. It's like, you know, you start with like, if it's A and then you can do like one on, mine's like one, 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 one. And I just have a, Josh has called me out on it. So anyway, uh, I can understand it and you don't have to read it. So get over it, right? Uh, well, I can halfway understand. But what, but what Peter does in his sermon, it really be broke down in three sections. First, he, he preaches the name of the Lord. Uh, and then he calls them to repent. And then he gives them what would be the result of their repentance. All right, you follow me? So that's kind of what's going on in the sermon. So in verses 13 through 18, he preaches the names of our Lord. I say the names of our Lord because he uses different names to, and they all have messianic themes to them. Because remember, he's trying to convince these people, right? A lot of the apostolic preaching was to really change the mind of the listener because these were people who had made up their mind about Jesus at this point. And now through the Holy Spirit and the preaching of the gospel, what Peter's intent is that, that, that their minds would change in regards to who Jesus is. 
And in doing so, they would receive him as Messiah and find forgiveness. Everybody track it with me so far. So that's what's going on here. Peter's standing up to preach, and he preaches the name of our Lord. He calls him to repentance and what would be the results. Now, verse 11 we read this last week. So this comes after the healing and then we pick up and it, verse 11 is really like a transition uh, that, that Luke writes. He says, while he clung, he being the lame man who had just been healed, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. This was outside the temple. It really ran just about the whole uh, east side of, of the temple there. And this is where uh, you'll see it. Uh, in Acts 6 and 7, there's another scene with Stephen that happens at the same place. It was a, a popular place of, of gathering, if you will. And so uh, it says that the layman was clinging to Peter and John. And I want to make sure you know this. It wasn't that he needed help being stable. It was that he was just grateful for what they had done. Because like he, he was completely healed, right? And he had gained all of his strength. He was completely healed. And at this point, he's just so over, overcome with gratitude that he's clinging to those who God used to heal him. And so... Uh, scripture says, so this happens, people come around, and this sets the stage for Peter, who is, is what we've seen as quite crafty and quite intelligent. Uh, he, he starts by really answering questions or asking questions that maybe have been being questioned out loud. Maybe they, people run around like, how did this happen or whatever? We don't know if they were vocalizing it or if it was just something that was understood because they ran in. So Peter asked two questions. The first one, check it out. In verse 12, he says, when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. He says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? That's the first question. Like, why are you in such wonder of this? And say, Justin, the dude was just lame and now he can walk. We all should wonder, right? Well, I think Peter's kind of saying, hey, you're Jews, like you know God, like you've, you've heard, you've seen God do the miraculous before, right? Like you've heard stories from your forefathers, what God, why would you wonder at, that God could actually do something like this? Because you, you know it to be true, right? So why are you wondering is the first question. The second question is this. He says, uh, why do you wonder this? Why do you stare at us? Though, as though by our own power and piety, we have made him walk. So evidently they were staring and Peter goes, wait, hold on. You think it's us who did this? Why are you staring at us like through our own power and our own piety, which means our, our, our faithfulness, our religion, our ability to be good Jews, if you will, like their own, their own faith. Like, why are you looking at us as if we had the power to do it? And for that, the stage is set to preach Jesus because in verse 16, he gives them the answer how this man was healed and it's by faith and the faith in the name of Jesus. So we'll arrive to that point, but before we get there, we, want, we need to walk through Peter's sermon. In verses 13 through 18, Peter preaches the names of our Lord. Number one, if you're taking notes, he calls him God's servant. Look at verse 13. It says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob and the God of our fathers glorified his servant. Now, uh, Peter's really crafty here again, and this is like this week when Daniel and I were talking about the songs that we should do. Uh, one of the things I thought about was uh, yes and amen because of God's faithfulness, faithful you are. And what, what Peter's doing here is he is showing God's covenantal faithfulness to Israel. Uh, he's saying, hey, through, through, through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, all these guys, God had promised that a servant would come. Like the, and what, what happened is, is in Jesus that God has glorified his servants. So Peter says that Jesus is God's servant and has glorified his servant. It glorified him uh, through his resurrection, what we see. But also, remember, uh, this is important. And, and, you know, I've read some people that said uh, whenever Peter preaches and says that he glorified his servant, he's specifically thinking like through the resurrection and ascension and set him down to the right hand of the Father, like gave him glory. And some people think that this is actually Peter saying like he's, he's given glory to Jesus by healing this man in Jesus' name, like that God the Father is still attesting to Jesus by glorifying him. And so either way they work. And so it says that the God, the God of the father of, of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob has glorified his servant. Let me, I failed to mention this, is that the way that Peter preaches Jesus is by setting up a series of, of paradoxes. I've got five names that he uses and in each sentence he, he's given this paradox of this name of Jesus or this name of our Lord 
Uh, and and, he's, and, he, and the way that he presents it is, is pretty awesome. So it says that he glorified his servant, that God was glorifying his servant. And so that's kind of paradox number one, this idea of, of glorifying a servant, right? So what we see is that God glorified his servant. And here, uh, it's only used a couple times, this word servant for Jesus is only used a couple times. It's here, uh, it's at the end of, of his sermon, uh, where he refers to Jesus as servant a, a few other times. It's kind of cool uh, that Peter's sermon begins with calling Jesus servant and then ends with calling Jesus God's servant. I just thought that was, that caught my eye this week. But the word servant here literally means God's personal uh, representative or ambassador. And it's important to catch this is that that when, G, when, when, when Peter's referring to this Jesus and the power of Jesus' name, he starts by calling him servant, as in one sent by God, one sent from the Father, as an ambassador, as a representative, as one who, would, who came, right? And so one that God had chose to be his servant. And servant for me and you today, we catch it, right? Because we understand Isaiah 53, Right, we we've heard about the the suffering servant that the Messiah would come. He would be a suffering servant, and the Jews they they had had this same prophecy, but for some reason they had missed this. And actually, Isaiah fifty two thirteen, Isaiah fifty three twelve. If you're interested in reading uh, about him being a servant, said he that God had glorified his servant. Why was he glorified? Because he was a servant that submitted to the Father's plan. Whenever Peter refers to Jesus, and, and I think in Peter's mind here, and as he's preaching to these Jews, because remember what we talked about in Acts 2 is like, all right, the question could have been asked if Jesus was truly the Messiah, the one sent from God, then how could he be killed by the hands of pagans? Like if he's truly God, sent by God, then how could he not know what was going to happen to him? Right, and so Peter made sure we knew that in Acts, uh, Acts 2, uh, that, that Jesus was delivered up to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God, that, like, that Jesus, whenever he's being crucified, it wasn't like Jesus didn't catch that coming. He wasn't the victim. No, he was the servant living in the Father's plan. And so Peter says that he is, he's been glor- that God glorified his servant. The term servant puts the emphasis not on the vicious death, but on the election of being his servant. God glorifying his servant tells us this, is that God chose him, sent him, and exalted him. He wasn't a victim of man's wickedness. He was the servant sent from the Father to do his will. So we see that in verse 13 that Peter says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, he glorified Jesus, or glorified his servant. And then it says, Jesus, whom you delivered, this is verse 13, the second part of verse 13, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied. I think Sherry's version actually said disowned, uh, which is a correct translation of that, that he literally, they, he, was, he, he, he came to them and he disowned him. They said, he's not of us. We do not want him. So Jesus, whom you delivered, and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. So the second name that Peter gives our Lord is, is Jesus. What literally means the Lord of salvation. Literally what it means is the Lord of salvation. Joseph got this in Matthew 1, 21. It says, she will bear a son and he shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. The very name of Jesus means savior. He will come and save. He was the one who was sent to deliver. But Peter preaches that instead of them receiving their deliverer, they delivered him to a pagan. So Jesus is the one that's sent by God to save people from their sin. He came to deliver them, but instead they delivered him to Pilate. God chose him and sent him and exalted him, but they delivered him and disowned him. Matter of fact, I just want to say this, that the, 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 I know in our context like this, this doesn't really like, you know, we weren't there, but like, this would not be a politically correct sermon in 2022. 
like Peter would be fired immediately and get, because ultimately he, what he's doing is he's, 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 he's showing the enormity of their sin is what he's doing right now. We don't, we don't do like how horrendous their sin actually was. And ultimately what he's saying is that you delivered over your deliverer. Like the one chosen, sent by God, you disowned and delivered him over to a guy named Pontius Pilate. Matter of fact, it says Pilate was wanting to, to, to release him. And if you read through the Gospels, you see no less than six times that, that, that Pilate actually said, this man's an innocent man. And, Paul, uh, and Pontius Pilate was a Roman, and so they didn't do a lot of things good, but the dudes, they liked the law. Like they were lawful people. And Pilate knew this dude was innocent. Matter of fact, Pilate's wife knew Jesus was innocent. Here's another ladybug. Does that mean good luck or anything or bad luck? Because I get them every Sunday. Oh, look at this. Don't you come back. <clears throat> so Peter's confronting the normity of their sin, and that's, that's paradox number two is that Jesus, their deliverer, they delivered over to a guy named Pontius Pilate. The next title that we see that that, that Peter's preaching of Jesus, he was a servant of God. He, his name is Jesus. And then what we see in verse 14 says, and you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. I'm sure you saw the paradox there. Right, the author of life or the prince of life and you asked for a murderer. Uh, or the, whole, the, the sorry, the, the holy and righteous one. The holy, holy one means separated to God by both nature and purpose. And it's a, a messianic title that we see in Psalm 16. He's called the holy and righteous one, which means uh, he's innocent of crime. He's, he's lived perfectly even on their account, yet they chose to free a criminal over the one that was the righteous one, the holy one. You denied the perfect one and picked a murderer. The fifth title is the author of life. We see this in verse 15. Check out this paradox. You can catch it again. And you killed the author of life. You killed the prince of life, I think is what Sherry's read. You killed, which the prince or the author means uh, the originator, the pioneer, the beginning, one who began something. And we understand from scripture that we know that Jesus is the one who gives life. John 1, 4 says that he, in him was life and the life was the light of men. There's life in Jesus. And he says uh, in the New Testament, in the gospels, that I am the resurrection and the life. And Peter says, you killed the one who came to bring life. But the story doesn't end by them killing the author of life. It ends here and it says, of whom God raised from the dead. To which they said, which we were witnesses of. That was one of the qualifications that we saw in being an apostle, one who had witnessed the resurrection. Why? Because this was the, important to their, their sermons they were going to be preaching, this apostolic witness that they had. And so you kill the author of life. Verse 16, it says, and in his name, in Jesus' name, and the author of life's name. Listen, the Bible gives Jesus, there's many names, and no matter what name you use that the Bible gives, it's in that name that this man was healed. It's in the name of Jesus. What gives Jesus' name the power to, to perform miracles is because God glorified him and God raised him. Through his glorification from the Father and his resurrection from the dead, his name now has power over sin, sickness, disease, death, all things. Here, I think Peter's... I don't think Peter's talking about in, in verse 16 when it says, and by his name, by faith in his name, uh, has made this man strong whom you see. The faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. I think faith here that Peter's talking about is the faith that Peter had. Because nowhere do we read that this lame man had faith in anything that was going on. Now, there are times in scripture that we read about the faith of someone who comes to Jesus and Jesus says, by your faith, you're healed. 
But when we're reading through the book of Acts and this, and the, definitely in the gift of healing, the faith, a lot of times, or most of the time in the, and we said this last week, at, and this may be not, and we can talk about it later, nobody came to me, so maybe, uh, maybe, uh, maybe you agree with me that I believe the gift of healing ended with the life of the apostles. That doesn't mean that God doesn't still heal, that God would choose today if he wanted to, to heal anybody. But I think the gift of healing, as in I possess the power to look at a lame man and go, in the name of Jesus and walk, I don't think, I don't think that gift continues anymore, right? I don't think it's still there. But here what we see through the, through, the, through the book of Acts is that the faith of Peter, Peter had all the faith in the world that Jesus would heal the man. And I think that's what we see here. The last thing that we see him call, and we see it, check out verse 17. It says, now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. Almost like Peter's getting soft for a moment, right? You killed the altar of life. You chose to receive a, receive a murder and give up the righteous one and the holy one. You, you, you did all these things, but he says, but I know you were doing it out of ignorance. Much more, seems almost much more soft than Acts 2, Right? And there's, you know, a, a lot of the guys I read and studied through is like, well, maybe, maybe he was thinking through and uh, in the Old Testament, there was, there was sins of ignorance and there were sins of willfulness. And there, there was, there was things that were, there was uh, appropriations made for those that, that were ignorant sins that like, they didn't understand and uh, sins of omission or sins of commission, uh, uh, the sins that I willfully do, the, those that I'm ignorant towards. And that's what Peter's saying here is that they were ignorant. And so Justin, what, remember when Jesus was on the cross? What was the very first thing he said? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Matter of fact, Paul writes that if the, if the leaders of the day actually knew that it was Jesus, they wouldn't have crucified him. That's actually in the Bible. They were ignorant. They missed it. Their eyes were blind. Now listen to me. It doesn't mean their sin is not, inex, it's not inexcusable, right? But they were ignorant to actually what was going on. Well, what Peter wants to, uh, wants to remind him that you acted in ignorance, as so did your rulers. But verse 18, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ should suffer, his Messiah, his sent one, ultimately saying, listen to me, what you did in ignorance is actually part of God's plan and his will in the first place. As in, you did not thwart God's plan. Even in your rebellion, even in your sin, you did not thwart God's plan because it had to be fulfilled that his Christ, his Lord, his Messiah would go through these things. So he preaches the names of the Lord. Number two is that he calls them to repent. So he, he dives in to the enormity of their sin and their rebellion and their rejection. Then he says in verse 19, repent, therefore. Remember, we talked about repent means a, a changing of one's mind. I know in youth group, there was always this, repent means you're walking in this direction and you turn and you walk in. Anybody ever seen that in youth group? Anybody? Repent means you're walking this way and then you turn and you start walking this way. That, that Yes, but not yet. What repentance is, that first of all, that there's a changing of the mind. I don't, I don't, my behavior doesn't change what I believe, right? Well, we have this mindset, if I start, if I just start acting a different way, then things are, I'm really repenting. What we understand scripturally is that that repentance is a changing of the mind, right? Here are these people, Romans 12, be transformed by what? The renewal of your, of your actions? No, by the renewal of your mind, that it, cha- it happens in the mind. And so you remember context here. Here are these Jews who had seen Jesus, had seen these miracles, yet they in their minds rejected Jesus as the Messiah, so Peter's now preaching Jesus as the Lord who was sent from the Father, the Messiah, the one that they saw and they killed. And he says, listen to me, change your thinking about him. 
Stop rejecting him and receiving him as the one that God had promised. Right? There's a changing of the mind that, that happens before the changing of the action. And the sad thing is, and this is just a side note, I know i got to preach the text, but a side note is that a lot of times in Bible Belt, Mississippi, what we do is we turn it and flip it the other way and say, listen to me, in order to follow Jesus, you've got to start doing this, that, and the other, and my mind's never changed towards Jesus. He's not the Lord of my life. I don't see him as Lord, but I'm going to conform to this set rules of things, and what happens is I walk through life having no relationship with Jesus, but confident in some kind of external reality that we have this false sense of assurance. But, but when it comes to Jesus, my mind is no different about Jesus now than it ever was. Now, Peter said, listen to me, in order for you to be saved, you have to see Jesus as Lord, the one that God had sent. Not just get out of, get out of hell free card, not just, not just, make your day better, but the Lord of all the universe. Peter says, this is him. Repent, change your mind towards this Jesus because in him, in him alone, can you find salvation. So Peter dives into the enormity of their sin and the rebellion when he calls them to repent. You know what that means? There was still hope for them. There's still hope for them. They knew their guilt. Peter knew their guilt. But Peter says, repent. Trust in this promised one. Number three, through the rest of the chapter, Peter gives them the results of their repentance. I think I can do it all in 15 minutes. Here we go. Number one, he tells them that if they repented, that their sins would be forgiven. Check out what he says. He says in verse 19, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. What sins? The sins of killing the Messiah. The sins of, of walking in self-serving self religion and, and hypocrisy, like their sins could be blotted out, literally means wiped away, which literally means that, that, that it's beyond even the ability to recall it or review it. As in, it is so far, as, as far as the east is from the west, Scripture teaches, right? Like, how far is that even? Like, where does, where's east and west, where does it, like, as far as the east is from the west, your sins are remembered no more. That he promises them, listen to me, if you would just repent, if you would change your mind towards Jesus and you would see that he's the Lord of all the universe and call upon him, he will blot out your sin. Colossians 2, 14 says it like this, by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands, he set it aside and he nailed it to a cross. Romans chapter eight, verse one says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What does that teach? Listen to me, that even these people, that they were not beyond the reach of God's grace. Like that should, I should have got another one of those amens right there. I'm talking about the people who chose a murderer over the righteous one. I'm talking about the people who killed the author of life. I'm talking about the people who rejected the very Messiah that they, their people had waited hundreds of years for. That Peter says, listen to me, if you will confess Jesus as Lord, all of your sins can be forgiven. Maybe you're sitting in here this morning going, Justin, I don't know if God can forgive me. You did not crucify the Son of God. I think he will forgive you. I don't think there's a sin deep enough and dark enough in your life that God would not say, repent and I will blot out your sins. That I will wipe them as far as the east is from the west. No matter what you're walking through right now, no matter what the enemy is whispering to you right now saying you cannot be saved, you cannot be delivered, God does not want anything to do with you. Listen to me, 
Repent and he will blot out your sins. They could actually experience the joy of being forgiven and the relief that comes knowing that they're not guilty anymore. It makes that old it is well lyrics may just mean so much more. Maybe you remember that, oh, my sin, oh, the bliss, oh, this glorious thought. Listen to me. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul, for it is well. It is well with my soul. If they repented, the result would be that they would be forgiven, even them. There's four other. I'm going to try to get through. Number, the, the second one is if they repented, that the, the kingdom would come. Look at verse 19. See, we're about to just dive in for a little bit, right? So just go ahead and put your snorkel gear on. We're going to just dive into the water real deep real quick uh, for two points, and then we're going to jump back out. I probably I'll give you some breath. A breath of fresh air in a second. So check out the words that he says. He said, so repent, therefore, turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Check out verse 20. That the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that it may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. You read that and go, he's already sent Jesus. What is he talking about? Evidently, he's talking about sending Jesus again here, right? So I just want you to see that because He's calmly, God's attested to him. And so now he says, repent, believe in Jesus so that your sins can be forgiven. Then he uses the words that a time of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. A time of refreshing here is known to refer to the millennial kingdom, as in when Jesus is seated on his throne. I'm not talking, we're not going to talk about when that's going to happen or, but there is, Jesus will sit on his throne. There will, he will reign. There will be a day whenever he, he comes again, he will sit upon his throne and he will reign. And this time of refreshing indicates that. So, so not only is Peter preaching right now, your sins can be forgiven. Ultimately, what I think he's saying is, hey, you missed him the first time, but you do not have to miss him the second time. When he came the first time, like you totally missed him. But I want you to know that if you believe in him now, if you trust him as, as Jesus, the Messiah, listen to me, he's coming again and you will see it. You will notice it. You will be a part of it. A, a time of refreshing marks the time when Christ will reign on the earth. And, and what the Jews really wanted is that uh, their enemies would be vanquished and all things would become new. And it says time of refreshing, which means there's a, it's, a, it's a fixed, it's a set, it's, it's predetermined time that Christ would come. And it's what we talk about in Acts 1, verse 7, whenever he says it's not for you to know the times and seasons, right? We don't, we, we don't know the exact moment, but what we do understand is there are things that Scripture teaches us that surround that, the second advent of Christ, right? Everybody follow me so far? I promise we're going to do a little bit longer. And what we understand from Scripture in Romans chapter 11 and Zechariah is that the second coming of Christ, the second advent of Christ to set up his, his millennial kingdom involves Israel's repentance. That there is a remnant that we see in, in the book of Romans, that there is a, a remnant chosen by the grace of God that will confess Jesus as Lord. And scripture teaches us that the second advent is predicated on the, the Israel's re, uh, uh, repentance and believing in Jesus as Lord. And so what he's saying, I believe, I may be reading it to him, but what he's saying is, listen, we trust in Jesus so that your sins can be forgiven, but also when you trust in Jesus, it's a sign that he, he, he will be back sooner. He, the, the sooner you believe, the sooner he comes back. So there's a time of refreshing Refreshing, listen to me, there's never been a more ill-treated people than the Jews. All throughout history, they have, they have been ill-treated. And what they desire, like I get, like I hate that they miss Jesus coming, but I get why they were wanting a, 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 a ruler to come in and overthrow their enemies. For so long, they've been beat down, right? 
And so this time of refreshing, this, this time when Christ is occupying his millennial reign and his throne, uh, here's some pictures that, that Ezekiel says that it'd be a time where there's showers of blessings. Uh, Isaiah says it's like that he's going to pour out water on those who are thirsty. Joel speaks of it as a, t- a time of ultimate satisfaction. Peter says, hey, repent. See Jesus as Messiah. Your sins are going to be forgiven and you will see when he comes again. And you will be with him when he's, and there will be a, the time that he's sitting on his throne will be a time of refreshing for you. The third thing, the third result is that not only would the kingdom come, not only would there actually be a kingdom, a time of refreshing, but the actual Messiah would come. Look at verses 20 and 21. It says that the times of refreshing may come from the presence, let me pause for a moment. It says, in the presence of the Lord. Let me say this to you, child of God. Here's your life app point. Uh, is that we don't have to wait to the millennial kingdom, millennial reign, to actually experience refreshness with the Lord now because it's in his presence. Like we, we now we have a foretaste of the glory that's going to be experienced one day. Like right now, we know we can, we can commune with the Lord in his presence and with Jesus, right? But it's just a foretaste of, of this time of refreshing that he's talking about. Um, anybody bored yet? Hope not, because this is good stuff. At least to me it is. Verses, so 20 and 21, not only would the kingdom come, but the Messiah would return. It says, time of refreshing, um, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, verse 21, whom the heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So what he says here is that, that right now we understand that Jesus has ascended, right? And so when he says that the heavens must receive is that ultimately uh, is that, that heaven will hold Jesus until it's time for him to come back. And to all these things that God has already began to orchestrate in this time of refreshment, this, this, this going, and ultimately what, what it means is this gospel going out for the church being born where people, both Jew and Gentile alike, are responding to the gospel. And whenever that time is done, the heavens will open and so too will come the Son of Man. Everybody stay with me maybe? Okay. The Messiah would return. He's going to send Jesus, but he's in heaven until, until he returns. But he will not return until after repentant Jerusalem acknowledges him as the Messiah. You see that in Romans 11 and Zechariah, and he says, the restoration of all things. This is speaking of the earthly reign of Christ. This is, he said in Acts 1.6, whenever Whenever the apostles ask and says, Lord, will this, will this time we restore the kingdom to Israel? They were longing for that. And so when the Messiah comes and he sits on his throne, it'll be a time marked by peace, joy, holiness, God's glory, comfort, justice. The knowledge of the Lord will be known. There'll be health, prosperity, and, and freedom for sin because there will be no more. Like there, there will be this time. And he says, listen to me, when you believe, Maybe when you do that, the Lord, that God would send his son back. What he's saying is that the curse of the garden on man in the world would be reversed. The garden that happened, the, the curse that happens at the beginning of our Bible was, is reversed when it comes to the actually earthly reign of Christ. Fourth. Yeah, I think fourth, I don't know. The next one. Yeah, I'm good. Not only will their sins be forgiven, the kingdom will come, the Messiah will return, but their judgment would be avoided. Look at 22 through 24, it says, and Moses said, the Lord, uh, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers, and you shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. It shall be every soul who does not listen to that prophet should be destroyed from the people. 
And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel to those who come after him also proclaim these days. What he's saying is, is that, that Jesus comes as prophet, and by listening to what Jesus says, you avoid damnation, you avoid judgment. And so he says, listen to me. Whenever, if you will repent, your sins will be forgiven. A time of refreshing will begin. It's promised that the Messiah would return and you would avoid judgment that you so, so deserve. And lastly, they will realize the blessing they have. Verses 25 and 26 says, and you are sons of the prophets and of the covenant. He says, you're sons of the covenant. But what they missed was without trusting in Jesus, they didn't realize the blessing of being sons of the covenant. They weren't walking in covenant with their creator. They weren't walking and living life with God, their creator, being their provider, sustainer. But he says, listen, if you, if you trust in Jesus, if you repent, you will understand what it means to be in covenant with God. You understand the blessing being able to be a sons of covenant. Hey, on this remnant theology and things like this, and there's a lot of people that believe like this is like ethnic, you know, ethnicity. Some of it's by race. Some of it is by ethics. And, and some of it is encompassing like the new Israel being the church. And so I'm just gonna say this is, as a church, you're part of the new Israel, which means you're now God's new covenant people. And whenever we repent of our sin, he blots our sin out completely. It's done. He remembers it no more. Your, your friend may remember your sin. Your wife, your husband may bring up that sin from time to time. But God remembers it no more. He does not hold that over you. And now, through knowing him as Lord, when he returns, it's not that something for us to fear, it's something for us to long for. <laughs> it's, it's, it's what our heart should desire. My kid's only five, and we're going, hey, come, Lord Jesus, come. All the parents said amen, like, come, Lord Jesus, come. And listen to me, and when he comes, it will be a time of refreshing. It'll be a time where we are in his presence, where he will bottle up tears and he will, he will, he will make all things new, that the enemy will ultimately be defeated, that the sin will, he will make, he will make his enemies his footstool, y'all. We talked about this already. The, the session of Christ, that Christ is seated. And what's going on in the world right now is that the father is making all the enemies the son's footstool, rather through the preaching of the gospel and people are choosing Jesus. But one day, ultimately, Christ will come. He will sit down and every enemy will be under his foot and at, the, at his name every knee will bow whether willfully or not willfully it will happen and listen to me for me and you I'm not scared of that I'm longing for that I'm waiting for that why because I know the blessings of being in the new covenant with God y'all with me like I, 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 it's not something that I fear it's something that, that we long for right Come, Lord Jesus, come. No longer, when you repent, child of God, no longer do you have to fear condemnation anymore or judgment. You've avoided it through the, through the gift of Jesus Christ. Oh, do you know the blessing of being in covenant with God who is faithful? He is faithful to his covenant, not just to old Israel, but to new. Because this one is written in the blood of his son. So much so that when Paul writes to the Ephesians, it says some, for some reason he tells the church at Ephesus that 
that we're in, we're like God has a great inheritance in us. Like he values us. Why? Because we are who his son's blood purchased. Oh, the blessing of being a child of God. I hope the word of God encouraged you this morning. If you haven't trusted in Jesus, let's get real for a moment. If you haven't trusted in Jesus, maybe your actions, like you have enough actions in your life to fool people, give yourself a false sense of assurance or something like that. But the reality is, is in your mind, Jesus is not the Lord of your life. Will you repent of that this morning? Will you confess Jesus is Lord? Will you come and you submit and surrender to him? Because here's the deal, y'all. He's already Lord. You don't make him Lord. You just acknowledge that he is. And if you confess, he is faithful and just to forgive you. And he will remember your sin no more. That's that's the Christ that you can come to this morning. Not one that says, you're not ready. Not one that says, you better get it together. Not one that says, oh, no, 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 not you. One that says, come, and I will blot out your sin. I will remember it no more. If that's you this morning, I'm going to be standing down here. If you want to come talk and pray, I'll pray with you. If you want to Catch up with me afterwards. We can talk. If you're a lady and don't feel comfortable talking to me, I've got as many women in here that will love to talk with you and pray with you. You just move as the Lord leads. Child of God, maybe God stirred your heart this morning to be thankful for this great gospel and being a covenant member. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your grace. God, the worst of people, you save. God, even to this group of guys who who rejected you, who disowned your Messiah, chose Barabbas, a murderer, over the holy and righteous one. God, that this day through Mouse Peter, you would extend grace and forgiveness to them and include them for your, in your forever family, your eternal family. God, we thank you for that reality. God, we thank you that today you're still the same God, that you're the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, that you never change and that you never will, that you're still faithful to save today as you were this day 2,000 years ago. God, I thank you for the sure reality that if anyone today would confess you as Lord and Savior, God, that you would blot out their sins. God, I pray that you give them the faith through your Holy Spirit to confess Jesus as Lord, the courage to stand up if they need to stand up and move forward. But even in this, maybe where they're seated, maybe where they're gonna be standing, God, that you would give them new birth, that you would make what is dead come alive, that they would, that they would believe in Jesus. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. You can stand and feel free to respond as the Lord leads.